This week, the last week of our fall study on the Lutheran Reformation, we're going to be talking about two very different pieces of writing. The first one is an essay by Luther that was written near the end of his life. It's entitled Consolation for Women Whose Pregnancies Have Not Gone Well. It was written in 1542, just a few years before he died. And the setup for this letter is basically that Luther was hearing from women who had miscarriages or whose children had died at a very early age. And Luther is a pastoral theologian. He responds to specific problems in the community. So this is a letter written to these women and also to the pastors who minister to them. And the first piece of advice that Luther gives these pastors is not to rush the judgment. As Luther puts it, it is not their carelessness or neglect that caused the birth of their child to go wrong, close quote. There isn't any room here for judging these mothers or suggesting that they have some responsibility for what happened. This sounds like basic common sense advice, but pastors often have a tendency to lapse into judgment. When someone gets sick, we often assume that someone must be at fault or bear responsibility. So Luther says, don't do that. The second piece of advice he gives is not to try to guess at why this happened. We don't know why it happened, so don't even bother guessing. This is a rebuke to those God needed another angel or God must have a better plan theories. The third piece of advice that he gives is to trust God. Luther writes, because the mother is a Christian and a believer, she may hope that God will accept her deep desire to have her child baptized as an effective prayer. So take your concern to God in prayer, even if you're angry or in grief, even if you don't know what to pray for. Luther invokes Moses as an example of someone who prayed to God, even though he wasn't quite sure what he was praying for. Don't get bogged down in specifics if you don't have any, Luther suggests. There's also an interesting view of the sacraments going on here, because he doesn't see God's action as limited to baptism. Too often we have a very instrumental view of baptism. We say that the promises of God come to us in baptism, which can make it sound like the only way God can be at work is through baptism. But the sacraments are there because they help strengthen our faith, not because God needs them. They're not there to box in or determine what God can or can't do. As Luther puts it, God has not limited God's power to sacraments, but has made a covenant with us through God's word. Luther ends the essay by saying we must leave such situations to God and take comfort in the thought that God surely has heard our unspoken yearning and done all things better than we could have asked. This is basically a way of saying we don't know, so don't pretend we know or try to make up some explanation. Just trust your prayer to God. So what's interesting about this letter? Why is this worth talking about? Well, for, for, for one thing, it's a good example of a pastoral theologian at work. It's an essay about how to care for specific pastoral needs in the community. And moreover, he's writing to the specific needs of women, which was unusual for his day. This is a nice little window into Luther's thinking about what questions matter, why they mattered, and what to do about them. The second thing we're going to read this week is from a new ecumenical document from the Lutheran and Catholics called From Conflict to Communion. And it's a document that was released in Europe last year and in the U.S. this year. And it's basically a summary of where the Lutheran-Catholic dialogue is right now. It's important to note here that there are, broadly speaking, two types of ecumenical dialogue. Sometimes when we do, when we do ecumenical dialogue, we try to figure out exactly what it is that we disagree on, down to things like how we define terms and word choice. What exactly is the difference in how we view something like communion? So you go into the minutiae of doctrine. The other type is by zooming out and try to figure out what it is that we agree on. So even if we don't see eye to eye on an issue, we can come up with some statement that we both agree on. 
one way to think about this is like a political primary, where you try to figure out exactly what the differences are between the two people. And then once you agree on a nominee, you zoom out a little bit and you kind of fuzz the language to come up with language that you can both agree on. The major Lutheran Catholic ecumenical statement was released in the 1970s and is called the Joint Declaration on Justification. And exactly what is in there is beyond the scope of what we can talk about, but it's worth Googling or reading about if you have time. So what we're going to be talking about is the section at the end of the document where it identifies five imperatives for mission going forward. The first one is that we should start from unity. There's often a tendency to define the Catholic Church or the Lutheran tradition in opposition to the other. This is bad because it starts things off on the wrong foot and makes it seem like we have more dividing us than uniting us. The second is that we should encounter and bear witness to one another. This is basically inviting us to conversations with Roman Catholics in person, not just letting the two groups that came up with this document be the sole uh, agents of ecumenical engagement. It means being open to the possibility that we have something to learn from the Catholic Church and not assuming that we have all the answers. The third imperative is committing to visible unity. This means finding ways to strive for visible ways that we work together in mission. This is a little bit vague, but the idea is that we should be striving to come in closer unity with one another. This means different things in different contexts, too. For many Catholics and Lutherans, it may mean joint commemorations or services marking the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Fourth, Lutherans and Catholics should rediscover the power of the gospel for our time. This means not just looking to the past, but also looking forward, trying to find what the witnesses of our traditions can illuminate about our own context without being bound or limited by those traditions. Fifth and finally, Lutherans and Catholics should witness together in service to the world, taking on projects in the community together, joining in public witness, so that people who aren't Lutheran or Catholic see that we're committed to doing ministry together despite our differences, that this is a witness to the reconciliation of the gospel. So what are the takeaways here? For us, the biggest ones are going to be maintaining openness where we can and engaging for the sake of our communities where appropriate. Instead of trying to figure out exactly what separates us, we would do a lot more good in our communities by focusing on the needs of the people who live in them. The unity of the church is often not something that comes about through statements, but as a result of shared mission at a local level. Mm-hmm.